Hi parents, it's Robin McMahon here. Thank you for listening to Parenting Our Future, which is in the top 0.5% of all podcasts worldwide. Before we dive into this episode, I want to invite you to join my membership site, The Parent Toolbox. You can join this membership for free. It's at www.parent-toolbox.com. And this is the companion site to my show, Parenting Our Future. In The Parent Toolbox, you will find game-changing tools and resources from both myself and my guest experts who are among some of the top minds in the parenting space. There are over a hundred resources to help you navigate screen time, co-parenting, meltdown, teenagers, and so much more. Join today at www.parent-toolbox.com. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Parenting Our Future. It's Robin McMahon here, and I want to introduce you to my distinguished guest, David Mura. He's an essayist, a memoirist, novelist, poet, activist, and teacher. His latest book is The Stories Whiteness Tells Itself, Racial Myths and Our American Narratives. As a sensei or a third-generation Japanese-American, he's written two memoirs called Where the Boy Meets Memory, An Odyssey of Race, Sexuality, and Identity, and Turning Japanese, which is an account of his year-long stay in Japan, which is a New York Times notable book. And he's written a book on race and creative writing called A Stranger's Journey, Race, Identity, and Narrative Craft in Writing. He co-produced and wrote and narrated an Emmy-winning PBS documentary, Armed with Language, about military intelligence service Japanese-American soldiers who served in the Pacific during World War II, many of whom were imprisoned with their families by the U.S. government. We have a really interesting conversation ahead. Welcome, David. So happy to have you here. Thanks for having me here. All right. Well, this is, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, you know, I, I like to preface what I'm saying about a topic like this by saying, I, I don't know much <laughs> and I am willing to be vulnerable and ignorant and stumble through this. There are some topics that I am like that about, and I realize I have a lot to learn. So, um, David, I want to start by by you know just talking about your book, the the stories of that whiteness tells itself, which I have right here, and I've been reading this book, and it's fascinating. And one of the things that you talk about in the book is your hometown being Minneapolis, and how your hometown is really a focal point for the Black Lives Matter movement after the police killings of Philando Castile and George Floyd, and you were really impacted in a pretty intimate way from these, just these two killings. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, <clears throat> Philando Castile was killed on a road, maybe two miles from my house. It's a road that I've gone down, you know, constantly because there's a driving mm-hmm. range. I golf, I go there. It's, it's actually not a very populated road. It's just a speed trap. Oh, um, and I, I know people who know Flanda Castile. In fact, uh, one of my students, her her uh, daughter went to the school where Flanda Castile worked at. And her she was quoted in the paper as saying he was Mr. Rogers with dreadlocks. Oh. And so, and I know people from the black community in St. Paul, so it felt very close to me. And then George Floyd, was killed maybe four miles from my house. Um, my son works at a high school maybe half a mile away from there. He knew Darnella Frazier. He knows Darnella Frazier, who took the video. 
He knew the EMT who tried to intervene. My wife works at a hospital a mile down the road. My daughter is uh, in the Minnesota House of Representatives in a district that's just maybe six blocks from where George Floyd was killed. Wow. And she worked with young people in the neighborhood too. So our our family also had close ties to this. And um, I be as I began writing about Philando Castile's murder, uh, there were a couple of things I realized. One was that the roots of that go all the way back in history, in American history. And for instance, it goes back to the way that blackness was criminalized by pseudo-scientific and pseudo-sociological studies during the 1800s, which, purport, which took every black crime as if evidence of the fact that black people were inherently criminals. Really? And yet these same social scientists would take, would not do the same thing with a white criminal. So when a white criminal committed a crime, it was just that it only cast a stain on that white person. It didn't cast a stain on all the white race. Right. Black crime was seen as evidence that black people were inherently criminal. Now, that idea, and then during the same time, in the South, during Reconstruction, they had these laws called the Black Codes, which said that if a black person were not actually or literally working for a white person, they could be arrested at any time, not just by the police, but by any white person. So this idea of blackness being associated with criminality goes back to this ideology, these ideas of reconstruction. And the, the Flandre Castile was stopped 50 times officially by the police in 10 years. Okay. And his mother says it's more like 80 times. And mm -hmm. when I speak to audiences of white people, I ask, you know, how many of you are stopped five times in the last 10 years? Some hands go up 10 times, fewer hands. By the time I get to 15, 20, there's no hands up. Yeah. So Flanda Castillo must have felt like every time I get into car, I'm in danger. And then I make the point that people always say we should judge people by the content of their character uh, and not the color of their skin. Even white conservatives are fond of saying this. But what they don't consider is, are white people equipped to judge the character of black people? So what I make, the point I make in my essays is these white parents, the white parent who was favorably disposed to Flando Castile because they said he treated all the kids with kindness. He knew their names. He knew which ones had allergies. You know, he, he, he treated them with love. And so they thought he was a good guy. Mm -hmm. They didn't. They didn't know that he'd been stopped eighty times in ten years, and that even though he was harassed by the police, mainly white police, he he was able to treat their children with love. And so, right. even though they had a favorable opinion of him, they really didn't judge the depths of how special he was. That he didn't return this harassment, this mm -hmm. hatred, mm -hmm. this sense of danger wow. that he lived with to the children, mm -hmm. right? Because they didn't know. And most white people don't know 
what the experiences of Black Americans or people of color, and I, I'm sure that's probably the same in, in Canadian society too, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah. Well, and and I want to I want to say a couple of things. You know, I've really learned a lot over the last few years, and really, it is the Black Lives Matter movement that really um, started my journey of wanting to learn more and understand more, and recognize how ignorant I really am. Um, and and I want to say a, a couple things about what you've just said. One is first and foremost, what you said to me before we hit record is that people don't change through shame and guilt they change through love and knowledge. And so that's your message here too, right? Which which I really love that, you know, you're giving us the information and the way for us to change it is through love and knowledge and learning. So I just, I really just want to say that because I think that's an important message to make. And I also, I'm kind of struck with Philando Castile. And I don't know how well people know who Philando Castile is. It's it's a name that is new to me. Uh, perhaps it's a name that more people in the States know of. Um, but what strength of character does that take for you to, on one hand, be really ridiculed or abused or uh, I don't even know how I don't even know how to say harassed. Um on, on one hand, and on the other hand, to show love and kindness and compassion to these children, like that is that is really incredible. It's really incredible. What strength? Yes, I, 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 part of what I would say about dealing with these, because people have a hard time dealing with these issues of race. Hmm. Yeah, it, it does bring up feelings of shame and guilt, and people, I think, need to get over that. Um, and as as you said, I I'm not I don't want to shame and guilt people, but I do want to um teach people yeah right? and all of us you know the the uh, uh head of the department of defense during bush's uh president bush's uh term donald rumsfeld said there are known no unknowns and unknown no unknowns there are known knowns and unknown unknowns yeah all of us have unknown unknowns we, we don't know what we don't know yes yeah the issues of race and so we all have to be willing to learn. Right. The second thing I would say is my book is a critique uh, of whiteness, not of individual white people. And right. I define whiteness as a set of beliefs, ideas, and practices which white people learn. And white people are sometimes aware of learning these things and sometimes not. It's like there's yeah. a black theologian, Thandika, who did this uh, sort of social experiment where she asked people when they were first aware of their racial identity. And almost all the people of color really could pinpoint when, when they learned that they were black or Asian or Latino. And the white people sometimes had to search but oftentimes uh, it came to something like, I invited a, 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 a black classmate to my party. And afterwards, my parents told me, we don't, we don't bring people like that to our parties. Hmm. And so part of what I'm saying is that the behaviors of whiteness are learned. They're not inherent to white people. And then the second point in my book is 
that this what these set of beliefs, ideas, and practices, they come from our history. So, for instance, we know in America that black people are 4.3 times more likely to have their limbs amputated than white people. We know that black people in emergency rooms wait longer for pain medication for the exact same condition. They receive less pain medication for the exact same conditions or illnesses. In, in 2016, there was a medical a study of 222 white American medical students. And these the students, half of these students professed a belief that black people feel less physical pain than white people because right. of the thickness yeah. of their skin. That's right. I've heard of that study. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. No. Because of the thickness of their skin. Yes. Or other reasons, right? I mean, that's what was one of the reasons. Now, the, the, the belief that Black people feel less pe- physical pain was first introduced into American culture by Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United mm-hmm. States, was a great man. He wrote the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. But at the same time, he was the leading ideologist and proponent of slavery. Right. And, and of white supremacy during his time. And so when people say, let's not think about Jefferson as a slave owner, because that was long ago, well, his ideas are there in white medical students in 2016. Yeah. So Which means not, they're there today. They're yeah, there today. The past, the past <laughs> is infecting the present. And if we don't see how the past affects mm-hmm. the present, we can't understand how racism works. Okay, that is the huge. Bar in the past and said, let's not worry about the fact that Jefferson had 600 slaves. Let's not think about the fact that he impregnated a 16-year-old girl who was his slave. Mm-hmm. And that his, she was one quarter white. His, so their children were one eighth white. People said, Tom, kids sure look like you. And he kept his own children as slaves. So let's oh my just God. think about how insane that is. Oh, right? wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't want to think about that, right? Wow. But if we don't want to think, like, people got it so wrong in the past, maybe we're getting some things wrong now. Right. 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 Instead of being defensive and uh, really afraid we need to 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 listen better and and so you know one one of the things okay so i want to go back to this episode and also this this conversation this topic is really dedicated to one of my best friends and uh it's she has taught me so much she she's a white woman she adopted a black son and there's a whole background around that, but that is what it is. And I, and I remember her saying things to me like for years, you know, at some point I'm going to have to teach him that he can't walk around with his hood up for his hoodie. At some point I have to talk to him about when he's driving and he gets pulled over. And I was like, no, no, I'm sure not. Well, how, how wrong was I? <laughs> how wrong am I? You know, I didn't understand that. I really, truly didn't understand it. I thought she was overreacting. I thought she was like just being sort of dramatic. 
So, um, so that that's, you know, this is, this is for all the people who are like me that just don't know, and who are willing to have an open mind and an open heart and recognize that there, there, there are some things that we just don't know that we don't know. And I'll tell you, one of the experiences that I had that I was shocked about is now that I have my own kids who are in high school. And once we had, uh, online schooling, there was some videos that one of my boys needed to watch. Uh, and it was, it was around, um, it, it was, it was, it was history. And so we were talking about civil war in the United States and just, and, and Britain coming in and, and just, you know, who, who was fighting who and how, and all this. And the video talked about black soldiers who I was never taught in school. We, they never even mentioned that. So it goes back to, to, to really what we're teaching, what's in our textbooks too. Like we're not even learning this and the truth of, of the part that, that black people have played in history. And, and, and I don't want to uh, ignore the fact that you are a Japanese American as well. We're going to sort of talk about that too. Um, because there's, there's a lot to be said about that in both the United States and in Canada, what was done to Japanese Canadians and Japanese Americans. Uh, so, so I just, you know, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me. And it's also so sad to me that I was also not like really robbed of the information myself that I didn't know what I didn't know. And it's, it's good that we're adding that in now, but then there's so much more we can do. And, and this leads me into this conversation about critical race theory. Can you explain what it is? Because I think as soon as people hear it, they recoil, they get their walls up, their defenses up. And I've got to be honest, I don't know what it means. I don't know what it's about. I, and I, and I, every time I, I look it up, I'm like, okay, that makes sense for what it is. And then, then I think, well, why is everybody fighting about it? That I don't understand. So can you enlighten us in, you know, in just sort of the 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 quick, you know, notes version of 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 what it is and why do people get upset about it? Well, there's two ways of looking at critical race theory. First of all, it's a very complicated legal theory, which okay. was developed by legal scholars. Okay. And it is it, it, it is an examination of how structural racism is built into the law. Now, they are obviously not teaching this in K through 12 schools, because if you actually read critical race theory articles, they're very difficult. They're not easy to understand. Okay. And if your child is actually learning critical race theory, you should keep them in that school because they're actually understanding things at a, it's certainly at a college, if not a postgraduate level. But what people are objecting to, and this is, uh, Florida governor's Ron DeSantos uh, uh, definition of woke is that racism is systemic and not a matter of individuals. And so it's this idea that there is no systemic racism. It's only, now we have defined racism as somebody, who, as if you look at the dictionary definition, it's defined only about, individ, it's an individual who either hates people of another race or actively discriminates against people of another race. And this discrimination must not only be conscious, but declared openly. Well, nobody, even the Ku Klux Klan, does not purport to believe, to say that they're racist. So then you go, you've defined racism so that it doesn't exist, mm. right? 
Now, we know, for instance, I cited the statistics, health statistics about pain medication or mm -hmm. health disparities. Black people in America smoke marijuana at the exact same rate, rate as white people. Black people are four times more likely to be arrested than white people. Once they're arrested, they're more likely to go to trial. Once they're in trial, they're more likely to be convicted. And once they're convicted, they're more likely to go to jail. And once they're in, and their sentences are, are more likely to be longer. This is systemic. It's not just the result of a few bad apples. Right. And people can't understand. They just don't want to look at that. But if you have these health disparities, if you have these educational disparities, if you have these disparities in who gets the Grammys or, or you know, Oscars, if you have them in, in policing, then it is systemic and people don't want to look at that. And part, you know, and also we, we're very simplistic about our definition of racism because, first of all, people don't openly declare that they're racist. Like yeah. people may say, like, uh, you know, I wouldn't like a black person or a person of color to live next to me or um, I, I wouldn't want my daughter's son to marry a person of color. But they only say it to people who yep. know, they know agree with them. Yep. They won't say it openly. Sure. And then if you say you're racist, you go, no, no, I, I, I don't believe that, That's right? True. So nobody go, these people are safe for me to be who I really am. Yeah, yeah. These so people, people, I'll be good. Even nobody openly declares that they're racist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it can't be just open declaration as proof of racism. But the other thing is people can act with racial bias right. and yet want to say, I believe in racial equality. Right. Because. Right. It, 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 you know, I don't, whereas I believe that there's rampant racism in many police departments, I don't necessarily believe that there's rampant overt racism in emergency rooms. And yet black people still receive less pain medication in emergency rooms for the same medication, for the same illnesses, uh, less medication than mm -hmm. white people. That's systemic. It's mm -hmm. not a result of one individual or a few bad apples. Mm -hmm. And so our objection to that is really an objection to look at racism. And if we won't look at it, then we're actually defending it. Right. OK, so what you're saying is it's just an opportunity for us to say, OK, how come we're doing this? Why are we doing this? Does this make sense? Right. Challenging status quo, too. Right. Like, OK, this, you know, and it's not about being woke. It's like, can we just be curious about this? And is there an opportunity to do better? Because we are fellow humans. Yes, and it, some of this is a result of systems that have been in place. You know, we talked earlier about um, this book, The Color of Law, and how there was uh, redlining, which was which, which kept black people in certain areas uh, uh, of cities and 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 countries. Uh, um, and prevented them from getting loans to buy houses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the ways that wealth is passed down is through property. That's right. Well, my father's a Japanese American was actually allowed to get loans. Now we weren't allowed to live wherever we wanted, but we were allowed to get loans so he could he could get out. But those loans were not available to black people of his generation. Yeah. Right? When we think about health disparities, sites of pollution are always put 
in the poorer areas and areas of people of color. Mm -hmm. That is systemic. It's not just one individual. And then that causes, you know, health disparities, right? But, and so, then you get less medication for it. You get treated lesser. Plus the, the nicer neighborhoods can have higher taxes, which allows them to fund schools and pay teachers better, have cleaner communities because they have higher taxes, which then means like it's it's a, just a cycle. And so the opposite is also true, right? It just It just keeps going. And I think where we really want to get to is 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 to understand how we change this and how do we talk to our kids about this this is you know and I want to say like I was brought up my dad would tell me stories about the and I'm so like well the Japanese internment camps that's not how he said it um, but I was I was brought up with some racism a hundred percent you know and uh and I and so we try our best with our own kids, but I think we can do better. I know I can do better. Uh, and so can we really talk about how, how do we change this? This is a deeply embedded cycle, just alone, not being able to, to, to buy a house, you know, that those loans were not available. Those government secured loans were not available to black people, that there is a GI bill where they were giving mortgages to veterans and of the 32,000 loans they gave out, two were given to Black people, Black veterans who fought in World War II? Yes. So this is so deeply ingrained in history. How do we change it today? Well, one of the things I think people should realize, you know, because I know shows about parenting, is that all of our children are growing up in increasingly diverse populations. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to succeed, you have to work with many different populations, many different types of people. You have to understand how to manage many different types. of, And you can't manage people if you don't understand who they are, right? If you think everybody's just like you, you know, and will react just like you and thinks just like you and has had the same experiences as you, you're not, you're not going to be able to understand your fellow workers. You're not mm-hmm. going to be able to understand, uh, uh, you know, what difficulties are going through or communication, solve communication problems, right? So in so other words, you, you're, sorry to I interrupt. Wanted my, my children grew up in a very diverse neighborhood. They went to a school which was 10% Native American, 10% African American and East African American, 10, uh, no, actually 20% Native American, 20% African American, 20% Latino, 10% Asian, 30% white. And as a result, they have friends of all different races mm-hmm. and ethnicities. They know they they have an understanding of what America is, and I think that that's what we want our children to have: mm-hmm. is we live in a multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic society, and in order for us to work together, we have to understand each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, w- one of the things I say in my book, "The Stories Whiteness Tells Itself," at the end is that white people often, you can look at their reactions to the existence of systemic racism in very much along the model that Helen Kubler-Ross outlined in her book on death and dying. Mm-hmm. And she, she talks about the five stages of grief. And in the first stage, there's denial. We deny death, right? Well, mm-hmm. in, in, in 
racism doesn't exist. You're just making it racism is a thing of the past. It it right. may be in distant past, but it doesn't exist now. Then there's anger. It's like, why are you bringing that up? Everything was fine until you started bringing it up, right? Yeah. This is a perfect uh, school. This is a perfect institution. This is a perfect company. This is a perfect city. This is a perfect country. And, you know, and the only thing that's wrong is you're bringing up these complaints. Then you're making is, me uncomfortable. <laughs> then it is bargaining. Like, okay, racism might exist, but it's not systemic. It's a few bad apples. Now, Chris Rock said, would you want to fly in an airline that had a few bad apples? Would you want to be <laughs> operated uh, uh, on by a surgery department that had a few bad apples? Right. White people expect black people to, e even if there was, but it's not a few bad apples. It's systemic, right? So you're bargaining. It's like, there's racism, but it's not quite as extensive as, you know, we, we think it is. But I can cite all sorts of statistics, which will tell you it's far more extensive than people think it is. Then there's grief, which is either, I feel so shameful, I feel so horrible, it makes me ashamed to be a white person, or how do you deal with it? You know, it's so, it must be so painful. How do you, how do you, as a person of color, deal with it? And then finally, there's acceptance. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, this is the way things are. What are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And so what I outline in my book and the stories whiteness tells itself at the end is really less a political uh, set of actions, but a set of spiritual and psychological actions. Okay. It is opening one's mind, opening one's heart mm. and saying, maybe the way I think about the world isn't the way the world is. Maybe the way I think about myself isn't actually because we are not only who you know who we think we are we're, we're what other people think about us and how our lives compare to other people right mm -hmm. and and if you think you grew up in, a, in a, a system of equality and then you realize other people did not have the benefits that you have then mm -hmm. you have to go well may, maybe the field was tilted in my favor yeah right? yeah and 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 so Maybe, you know, I, I didn't just achieve everything I've achieved because of me, but because I was afforded opportunities that other people were not. Mm -hmm. I was given an education that other people were not. My parents were able to buy a house where other people were not able to buy a pair. You know, I could drive down this road and never be disturbed, right? Mm -hmm. Never be arrested, much less fear for my life. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and understand, well, maybe I'm not who I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Maybe my, but it has to be an open mind and, and really an open heart, too. Mm -hmm. It can't come out of fear. And a, a lot of white people are, are, are gripped by this fear, right? And, and that's the thing you don't want your kids to grow up with. And what is the you fear? Want your kids what? to grow up with fear of learning. Fear of opening their hearts and minds, yeah. right? Yeah. Fear that I'm I'm going to lose something if yeah. I admit that there's racism, right? Rather yeah. than going, it's true. There is this fear. sort of white knuckling, gripping tight, gripping, tight, tight, tight. Like like that was that, that's the reason why we had Trump in America, because a number of white people once Obama was elected, they freaked out, mm -hmm. you know, because they became aware that after 2040. 
white people are no longer going to be a majority in America. We're all going to be racial minorities in America. And they go, yeah, it's very oh, scary. God, what's going to happen to me? Yeah. Which I think is just that there's, there's an insanity built into racism. Like it's an insane fear of who you regard as a racial other. Now, I, I'm Japanese American. My parents at 11 and, and 15 were imprisoned by the United States government during World War II because people said the Japanese are a threat. You know, they didn't say the Italian Americans were a threat. They didn't say the German Americans were a threat. So you knew it was racial, right? Now, I recently did a documentary uh, about Japanese American linguists because at the beginning of the war, World War II, America had white German speakers, had white Italian speakers who could do translating in Europe, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they had no white Japanese speakers. So they had to turn to the Japanese American population. And some of these people and their families were imprisoned by the United States government. But wow. they volunteered for the school, which was located actually in Minnesota. And they went out into the Pacific to serve as translators, as interrogators, um, as battlefield guides. And McCar General MacArthur's chief of intelligence said that these Japanese Americans shortened the war in the Pacific by two years and saved a million American lives. Which means there are anti-immigrant, anti-Asian white people in America who owe their lives to these right. Japanese Americans. Right. What's more is these Japanese Americans believed in the ideals of America. Yeah. That's why they fought. So this idea that suddenly if white people are a minority, it's like it's going to be a horrible country, to me is just really a form of insanity. Mm. It's like we're all Americans. We need to recognize this, right? Mm -hmm. We shouldn't fear diversity. We shouldn't fear the other. Because the other thing I talk about diversity and why you want your children to be comfortable with it is it's far more creative i often tell audiences if you have 50 managers who are male japanese over 50 in one room you have 50 white male american managers over 50 in one room and then you have in the third room you have people of all ages people of all races men and women lgbtq which room is going to be more creative? Mm -hmm. Which room is going to be better able to communicate with the rest of the world and understand the global market? It's the third room. Mm -hmm. But only if that third room can get along and communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. Right? So yeah. racism is really anti-creative. It's stupid. <laughs> and and it's, of course, it's morally wrong, right? right. But, yeah. but, but it's also stupid and uncreative. And if you look at the dynamism of American culture and society, it has come because we said anybody from anywhere in, in the world can come and become an American. Like you, you can't do that in Japan. You can't do that in Russia, right? Mm -hmm. But you can do that in America. And it's what has made our country great. You mm -hmm. can't, you know, one of the points I make in the stories whiteness tells itself is black people have been the moral conscience of America. And at every point in our history, black people have been on about racial equality. Black people have been on the right side of history. 
And the majority of white people have always been on the wrong side of history. Hmm. When Martin Luther King was alive, 60% of 3% of white people disapproved of him. 63% of white people yeah. disapproved of Martin Luther and, King. And, and yet yeah. white people have never turned to black people in America and went, we've got it wrong every single time in history and you were on the right side of history. Maybe we should listen to you in the present. When you say on the right side of history, what do you mean by that? Well, in my book, I talk about how all the black people understood slavery was wrong. Right, okay. a single black slave who, under, who thought it was, it was correct, right? Yeah, um, hey, let me work all day it was from... Natural. What was it from uh, From no see to no see? Is that what it was yeah. called? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah for then, I can't yeah. see in the morning because it's so dark and I can't see at night because it's so dark. That's how long I've been working with no breaks and no pay and nothing but abuse. Yeah, and, and just as Martin Luther King was right in the civil rights, they, they were right about the civil rights movement, right? And so, you know, in the book, I talk about how people say, I don't want to look at the racism of the past. I don't want to think right. about it. Right. Like, let's not judge. Lincoln was actually a racist. Mm-hmm. Black ministers came to the White House and they expected to have a dialogue with him because these, these are ministers. They were educated men. Mm-hmm. And Lincoln told them, you will never be part of America. The least wow. white man is better than the best black man. And, and and then we say, well, that was Lincoln reflecting his time. But these black ministers lived at the same time Lincoln did. So when you're saying he needs to be judged by the moral climate of time, all you're thinking about is white people. Mm. You're not thinking of the judgment of black people. Because those black ministers thought were equal to white people. And so is that... But you're saying, you know... Let's do, so so you're not when you say let's judge them according to the moral climate of time. All you're thinking about is the judgment of white people. You're not thinking about the judgment of black people. So that and so you're creating like there used to be a, a baseball my, major my, major leagues where black people couldn't play in the major leagues. You're creating the moral. You're defining the moral climate of the times as black people are not part of the moral climate of the times. And and so. If you don't know that, right? I didn't know that about Jefferson. And if you don't know that, then you can't understand how 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 the the black population has been set back, right? If you don't know all the things that have been done where where they have been treated poorly in in a in a vast array of ways, so you don't know what you don't know. And so what what I hear you saying is we've just got to look at it. We've got to look at it to understand it. If you see somebody, instead of judging them, somebody that you don't like, maybe somebody who's whatever race they are, who's downtrodden, who 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 is a homeless person, let's just say, for one example, instead of saying, ah, you know, ugh, you know, get out of my sight. You smell, you're probably drug addicted. You know, what if we just were curious, right? Like you, you can't hate and be curious at the same time. Right. And that's all, that's all I think you're saying is like, let's look at why we're here, be more curious because that does go a long way. And I've noticed it in my own self, not knowing that I, I have biases that I, I wish I didn't 
but also saying I don't see color is not the answer, right? That's not it either. But just really saying, okay, you know what, that person's history, that collective pain body, the generational pain, which I talk about all the time in parenting, because we pass this down is, is affecting this person today in this moment. Like what happened to you in the past to bring you to this moment right now? Is that, that's what you're saying. And don't we want to raise our kids to be curious? I think so. We want to raise our kids to be loving and accepting of other people. Don't we want our kids to be open to learning? Yeah. And that goes across every religion. To to work and be friends with all sorts of different types of people. Right. Why would we want to just live in a little enclave? I don't understand it. It's, it's, you know, aside from it being morally wrong, like I said, it's, to me, it's stupid, uncreative, and unproductive. Right? And again, just being a good person is something anybody of any religion can be, anybody of any race, which we argue there is only one, it's the human race. And, uh, you know, but any ethnic background, yeah, that that is a universal truth, just to 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 be curious, to learn, to seek understanding to listen and to love yeah yeah i think that's a really beautiful message and i think that's what we need to be talking to our kids about and and also checking our own selves like if i think this if if my mind goes there hold on a second why am i thinking that why am i thinking that do i sometimes sneak a little racist comment with somebody that i know is okay with that i can't do that you know i can't do that I have done that. I have done things like that. And I strive to do better. Mm-hmm. And I hope that this conversation helps people to just sort of question, okay, where am I coming from? And, and know that this isn't about shame. This isn't about uh, guilt. This is about where am I now? What can I do about it? How can I learn? How can I understand so that I can treat this person with humanity and love kindness how can i open my heart how can i open my heart to you yeah wouldn't the world be a better place if we each did that for just one person yeah yeah but here's the thing it's like the world becomes more interesting if you do that yeah it becomes a richer place and this is why i i think the white fear of people of color is like you, you can't imagine American culture without the existence of African-Americans. Like I said, they've been the moral conscience of our nation, but also culturally. I mean, American music at the root, at a huge root, is African-American music. It's a music born out of slavery, out of that history. And we are all richer for that, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and why, why would you want to deny that? Why would you want to deny that to your children? Mm. Yeah, that's really fascinating. That's well, I just want to say thank you so much for being here for talking, you know, about this serious topic that, you know, does get people's backs up. I know that I'll get messages about it and talking about it. And that's okay. You know, I, um, I, I want to stick my neck out as a white woman and say, I don't know what I don't know, I've gotten it wrong. And I really every day am striving to do better. And I hope that the people listening 
we'll do the same and we'll, we'll teach their kids these messages as well. And so just again, your book is the stories whiteness tells itself racial myths and our American narratives by David uh, Mara. And uh, you can find, where can people find you? Um, I have a website, uh, www.davidmurrah.com. Um, and the book is available anywhere, you know, any sort of book service or, you know, small bookstores. Uh, um, and I'm, I'm doing a, just a number. Of, I, I actually had an article in Salon a couple of days ago on Governor uh, Ron DeSantis's banning of the AP African-American history course in Florida. And we're having this great debate about whether oh, and how we teach African-American history in America. So um, the article's in Salon. So people just plug in my name and you can find that. Okay. And you're at Murrah David on Instagram, uh, Twitter, you're, you're on Facebook, you're on LinkedIn, you're everywhere. So uh, that's, that's great. We can definitely find you. And uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. The world is better for it. And I am definitely better for having met you and, um, you know, and I have learned from you and your book really is fascinating. Um, I just want to say one thing, just, you know, um, have a look at what, uh, what David talks about with the Steven Spielberg's film, um, Amistad. That was an eye opener for me. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> just didn't expect that. And you were so bang on when I, when I relook at that, that was uh, very interesting. So thanks again for being here, David. Uh, I really appreciate your wisdom in this area. Thank you. Thank you so much, Robin, for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach, Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.